Blog Talk Radio. This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City. Finally, a global program specifically for wealthy, philanthropic women who are humble, gracious leaders. Sylvia Global's host, Gil Sylvia, invites you to join her in these conversations with first ladies of nations, households, business, and communities. Trustworthy, live conversations with women from around the globe provides a place for your voice to connect with women of integrity, passion, and purpose. Now, here's your host, Gail Sylvia. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for being here with me today on sylviaglobal.com. Um, we're very excited because we have listeners signed on from around the world. Um, in London, I'm looking at some people standing by, also in Vancouver, Montreal, um, looks like Basel, Switzerland, and many more, and here in the United States. Our special guest today is Kimberly Davis. She is a seasoned senior executive with over 30 years of deep expertise in the financial service industry. Most recently, Kimberly Davis held the position of president of the J.P. Morgan Chase Foundation, where her responsibilities included overseeing the firm's $300 million in annual giving, employment en- employee engagement, and strategic corporate marketing. Kimberly Davis received a bachelor's degree in economics and finance from Spelman College, and her passion for the issues surrounding leadership for women is what prompted her to help design and implement a national leadership center at Spelman known as LEADS. She did this in collaboration with Spelman College, where she is also a trustee. Um, The recipient of numerous profiles in um, a number of publications and numerous awards, such as the Business Journal's 100 Most Influential Women, Black Enterprise, Pink Magazine, Fast Company 2011, and many more, along with Essence Magazine's 28 Most Influential Black Women. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today here on Sylvia Global. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. What a pleasure. You're also a mother. I am a mother. You are. How many children do you have, Kimberly? I I have two children. I have a 26-year-old daughter who is finishing up her last semester at Columbia Law School, and I have a son who's a junior in college who's spending a semester in Bologna, Italy. How has your your life impacted their decisions to study abroad and to pursue law? Well, for my daughter, my my husband is actually a lawyer, and uh, so I would say that the law influence was probably more from his side than Mm -hmm. than mine, obviously. But my son, who is... uh, studying uh, abroad and speaks four languages, is very passionate about 
world issues um, and, in fact, desires to go to the Peace Corps after uh, after college. So I'm imagining that watching my journey, particularly my passion around community and service, has uh, has influenced many of his decisions and the path that he will take. Who were the first? Who were the first women of influence in your life, Kim? Well, my influencers uh, really go back to my community in Chicago, and uh, my my mother and my grandmother were great influencers in my life. Uh, my grandmother, uh, paternal grandmother, was the first African American woman to graduate from Harvard's education Ph.D. program in 1929, Dr. Rose Butler Brown, and uh, grew up listening to stories about that struggle and and yet that victory that she had uh graduating second in her class in 1929 and going on to teach at the University of Rhode, Rhode Island and my mother uh who uh passed in 1995 was a was a great role model for me raising three children uh with without uh, a husband and uh and just being being terrific both in terms of her uh, professional, uh, as well as just her nurture, really had a lot to do with making me who I am today. Kim, what kind of conversations took place around your dinner table growing up? We were a family uh, very much focused on on service, and and really were led by the by the credo to whom much is given, much is much is required. My mother's father who is still alive he will be 99 in june uh was uh was a was a great uh, social justice advocate on the south side of chicago very involved in uh in the community and in church and uh well respected in the neighborhood as one of the leaders and so around our dinner table it was really about how can we be of service uh and servant leadership that was very much the model that I grew up under, uh, the notion of servant leadership really being about uh, being humble uh, in your successes and, again, understanding that you are privileged to have the successes that you have and your responsibility is to for each one to lift one. With your grandmother's major accomplishment, I mean, that's not something to be taken or brushed over lightly. Uh, that's an important part of your legacy, and uh, her like you are an important part of her legacy, and her drive and her ability to, to achieve at such high levels. Uh, you know, were there ever times that you felt like you you were in conflict? You know, given the environment that you may have been in, and others' aspirations were they you know at the same as those of your family, or were yours often higher than many of your peers, or lower than other you know your peers? You know, we 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 uh, we did, and and I still talk about this today, and that is, regardless of what uh, opportunities or obstacles are in your way. Uh, one of the things that my grandmother used to say was that excellence was the best deterrent to racism, sexism, and any of the any of the other isms that one might experience. And I believe that quote is attributed to an unknown author, but I think it is so appropriate today, and it will be appropriate 100 years from now. 
it's powerful to think about that. Excellence is the best deterrent to racism, mm-hmm. sexism, and any of the other isms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so many times as you go through your career or your life's journey, there are going to be obviously mountains as well as valleys, and you have to be prepared to have the endurance, the stamina, the 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 power within to be able to uh, to not only go through and hurdle, but to come on the other side of of those obstacles with uh, with with a sense of accomplishment and a sense of 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 being able to help others through your stories uh, hurdle any of the obstacles that they have. I, I I'm I'm huge about storytelling. I think people learn a lot through the telling of stories. And, and so uh, I, I've spent my life doing a lot of that, both in my professional career as well as in my personal life. Where was the moment in your life that you 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 felt or connected with that power within and knew that you had something there within yourself that you would have to draw on as a source of you know, strength and encouragement along with other wisdom that was, you know, being um, given to you? You know, there were many defining moments in in my life. Uh, One big one was my mother's job uh, when I was 15, transferred from Chicago to California. And uh, any of our listeners who have had the experience of having to either move themselves or move a teenager... They know how difficult that is mm-hmm. to go all the way across the country, and I felt my, like my life was ending. <laughs> mm. And uh, and I and I frankly begged my mother to let me stay with my grandparents in Chicago, and she said, "No, you you are my child, and you're going to come with me." It was the best experience that I could have had because it took me from a uh, a. Uh, an environment on the south side of Chicago uh, that culturally uh, was very monolithic to uh, a place in Southern California that was multicultural and and really expanded my view of the world and uh, and I, I, I just I, I, I'm just grateful that my mother had the courage to make that move and that she was strong enough to say you're coming with me. And so that really was an eye-opener for me, and it was a, a time when I knew that I just wanted to explore the world and that I wasn't, I, I wasn't scared. I wasn't, and I've never been scared. You know, people use the term fearless to describe me many times, and it's not that I'm not afraid of things. It's that I don't allow fear to be paralyzing. And that's another thing that my grandmother taught me was that, of course, everyone's scared. But what you have to do is to go dig deep and not allow fear to become paralyzing. What part of your life, excuse me, Mm -hmm. what part of your life, what role did faith play in your your life and your upbringing and your decision-making? Well, faith has been the cornerstone of my life. When I talk about that servant leadership, uh, mm-hmm. go back to my grandfather. I mean, we were that that the 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 cornerstone of of our 
work in our community really centered around our church. And uh, and, and many of the leadership lessons, I have to say, that I learned and I was able to, quote, test came from those experiences that I had in leadership roles in church. And, you know, uh, that can be such a freeing and safe space because whether you do well with the Easter speech or not, people are always going to affirm you. Mm -hmm. And so that gives you a sense of power just knowing that you can be affirmed in both your successes and in 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 things that you can improve on, um, and you don't use those as reasons to stop, but you use them as reasons to continue to be a continuous learner and to work to improve constantly. It goes back to that notion of excellence. How did you apply this? Kim, in your life in corporate, how do you apply this in your life in corporate America, especially with the global scope of how we need to live our lives? Yeah, that, that that's a that's a that's a that's a great question. Now, when I started my career 30 years ago, uh, companies were talking about international assignments, and they weren't really talking about global assignments. And the and and the distinction that I draw between those two is that. These were U.S. companies that were operating in other parts of the world as opposed to today. These are companies that are truly global, which means that they have to understand culture and difference of the world in order to be successful. And it's not about imparting uh, American views in other parts of the world. It's about an integrated approach to how things are done across the world. You know, traditional boundaries and borders are completely blurred today. And I think most of the most thoughtful leaders, they know that those lines were outdated a long time ago. What was once domestic is now global. What was once internal is now external. And then when you look at how markets have changed, it makes it really harder to predict how business is going to change more more than than any point ever in time. And so firms, institutions, organizations, individuals can't rely on traditional approaches. They have to think in a much more inclusive way. And um those were lessons that I learned early in my life from the experience of moving from Chicago to California as a 15-year-old into a completely different environment where we there were many cultures and people from different parts of the world operating. Uh, to my experience at Spelman, and even though Spelman is a historically black women's college, cultural differences existed at Spelman that I could not have even imagined because everyone has the same skin color doesn't mean that their experiences are all the same. And so I was able to take all of those life lessons with me into corporate America. And um, I would say that uh, I'm proud that I didn't just survive in my 30 years in corporate America, but I actually thrived. How did you find a corporate culture that would embrace your experiences and your perspective on cultural inclusion or on inclusion well i think you know you 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 have to bring your authentic self to whatever environment you're in and i 
while I am clear and I always advise young people today that it is important that you understand culture and the culture of a company that you're working in and you have to in many ways adapt culturally you also need to understand that you need to bring your authentic self and you need to be clear that there are certain lines that you are not going to cross. You have to have a sense of who you are and in bringing your authentic self to know that if those lines are being, if you're being asked to cross those lines in a corporate environment, maybe that's not the right culture for you. And so I was, I've been fortunate enough uh, in, in my corporate journey to one, be be authentic, two, to understand the culture and the politics of the culture enough to navigate that effectively, and three, to know when those moments came where uh, I may have been asked to cross a line that I was uncomfortable crossing and to really take a stand and to say, I, I am prepared to go if this is what is required of me. And that takes courage. And I think what comes with courage is experience and, uh, and, and a sense of community. And that means having strong networks and people that you can get advice from and they can get advice from you. You know, there was a speech that you gave, and, uh, and I'm going to quote from it, you know, as heirs of a tradition of strong, capable women leaders who are rooted in community service and coalition building, respect for differences and partnerships, our aspirations must remain steadfast as we lead the way in the 21st century and beyond. You know, this and you go on to say this reflection is vitally important for as we stand at a critical moment in our societies of the world where our dreams and our choices will determine not only our future but also the destiny of untold generations to come. Talk to us about what you how that very important statement, you know, that you made in your speech um is lived out in the work that you're doing, not only the last 30 years that you've done, but the work that you're doing moving forward. Yeah, that, uh, in fact, one of one of my favorite speeches, um, uh, and it's a speech that I gave um, at Spelman College during uh, Martin Luther celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday. Yeah, uh, it it was it was really about the dreams and the legacies and the vision. Uh, of Dr. Martin Luther King and our responsibility as women and particularly women of color to uh, to maintain that 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 legacy. Um, there, much of my inspiration for uh, for that speech came from um, Toni Morrison's definition of uh, of, of a womanist uh, being a woman who is bold and audacious and fearless and 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 her view of that is rooted in our history as women where we have been responsible for family and for community and 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 have the ability to multitask and have the ability to nurture 
uh, as well as to be strong. And many times I think as women, because we're so busy doing, (laughs) that we don't really stop and recognize just how strong and just how how effective we are at so many things and how many we bring along mm. and so that 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 notion of of power and how we use our power is something that i uh that i spend a lot of time talking about uh and and thinking about because you know as the world is changing um there, there there's an interesting piece a white paper that was produced by Oracle um, in June of last year, June of 2012. And in that report, and uh, the viewership can go online and, and, and pull that up, they talk about the fact that the demographics of the global workforce are undergoing significant change and that workplace diversity is one of the three biggest factors that will affect talent management over the course of the next 20 years. And they go on to say that companies and institutions that are going to be successful are those that are going to really foster leadership and that as we come out of the recession, talented workers, but particularly women, and they focus particularly on women, are really reevaluating their corporate careers and opting to do a lot of different things, whether it's start their own businesses or pursue careers in other work environments. And so they say that this is particularly true for women of color. And they say that the companies that don't view inclusion and diversity as a business imperative will increasingly witness a drain on talent, and it's going to not only be challenging for them and just in terms of resources, but it's going to be an incredible loss of innovation and creativity, that creativity and innovation that comes with different backgrounds, cultures, and experiences. And I think women know this. We've always acted in this way, the the notion of, of coalition building and inclusiveness and working together, whether it comes from mothering and knowing that you know you got to have everybody work working together but we uh we we know that this is important but that's only half the story the question becomes will companies and will institutions recognize that women women all over the world as an increasing demographic women are poised to be the largest emerging market for business in the 21st century. So whether we're talking about Latina women or black or Asian, Native American or Middle Eastern women, these multi-influential women of color, as I, as I refer to, to us, are economically vibrant and increasingly a significant sector of the economy. And... Um, I think the companies that recognize this, the institutions that recognize this, uh, this consumerism, if you if you will, there was an article written in Entrepreneur.com four years ago, just to, just to tell you how things haven't changed that much, and they referred to women of color 
as the comptrollers of the new consumerism. And, you know, that makes sense. Women of color, multi-influential women and women of color control over 85% of all the purchase decisions that are made today. And so we need to leverage our power, and I know you spend a lot of time on this, Gail. We need to leverage our power uh, in a way that strengthens our communities, that strengthens the ability for girls to be successful, for girls to feel that their power early. And uh, I think that's our responsibility as leaders is to bring the next generation along, given all of the possibilities that exist. You know, Kim, you and I have um, our paths have have run parallel for, for all of our lives. And it's we, amazing. It, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, right down to I was in Peace Corps, just so you know, and then I also am from Southern California, and then left Southern California and went to other parts to the Midwest, Cleveland specifically, where. Um, it wasn't as ethnically diverse as I had grown in the environment that I had grown up in. Right. And then to have international experiences like your son and your daughter have experienced as well and how that has shaped us. Uh, and then our, you and I, our, our paths intersected um, initially through the organization Women Moving Millions. Correct. And understanding, um, us mutually understanding the importance of the power of women's per, the purse and controlling the purse and our influence to um, around the world and how to own it and to release it, you know, in yes. very big, yes. bold ways. Yes. But one of the things that um, really stood out to me each time I have conversation with people who know and have worked with you, Kim, they never, ever, no one has ever had the need or has said, Oh, she's an African-American woman. They speak of you and the work that you do, along with so many others that you and I know who are doing our leadership examples at global levels with such grace and a level of excellence that the 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 ethnic reference is not even a part of the conversation whether it's someone in Hong Kong that knows you or someone in Chicago that knows you, do you see a shift happening for women of color when it comes to being seen for who we are and how we operate beyond? Have we reached that place where we're seen for our our talents beyond our skin? I, you know, I... I think we are making progress. This this uh this uh, this concept of multi-influential that I'm that I prefer to is is a powerful term because in my mind it flips the myths and stereotypes mm-hmm. into a competitive advantage. And and what I mean by that, you know, it it promotes the positive characteristics of what has been referred to in a lot of the literature about women of color as the triple threat, and that is the intersection of race, ethnicity, and gender. It flips that into something that becomes a powerful incentive for companies to get focused and intentional about because of the economic uh, potential 
in with with and in women of color. So I talk about women of color because one I'm proud to be a woman of color and I want to affirm young women of color so that they understand that they should be proud of their cultural heritage and their ethnicity. But the power of the women's movement in the 21st century, as I see it, is for us to break down the barriers of ethnicity and race and gender in a way that promotes women as a powerful platform of change. But in order for us to do that, we have to, one, have authentic conversations across ethnic and race lines within our gender. And we have to make sure that we are strong within the gender before we can be a powerful force to go into the world. And so I think that we have started to have more authentic conversations within the women's movement about the differences that do exist in the experiences of white women versus women of color and when is it a gender issue or when is it a race issue or when is it an ethnicity issue. And we have to be powerful and strong and have enough courage to talk about those issues within the women's movement so that we are a stronger block and we bring the force of our power in much in 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 greater mass than the 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 individual components you know the sum of the parts is is going to be much more powerful than the individual pieces if we can get if we can get there and i think we're making progress and i think Conversations like we're having and, and, and your broadcast is one powerful way to begin to promote that dialogue. Thank you. Does the multi-influential leadership of women of color become a threat to white women and white men as we well, make advances? We sh- we we sh- we I mean. He, he, it should not be a threat because the the fact of the matter is it is a it is a segment that has not been recognized for its potential and so we should it should be seen as a new opportunity and it should be embraced as as such um i think the threat only comes in the in the in the in the unknowing uh, as with most things People are uncomfortable with what they don't know and what they haven't been exposed to. Goes back to your question about um, people not referring to me as a black woman or a woman of color, but just seeing me as as a as a leader or an influencer or other a, other adjectives. And I think I think that's. Hmm? They see you as a force of nature with oh, incredible God. grace and and power and intellect and skill and that delivering that at that standard of excellence that you referred to earlier. Well, and I and I and I hope and I and at least my 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 expectation is always to um to meet people where they are and to um break down barriers of of distrust 
and of, of lack of exposure. And I think many times women of color, women, uh, multicultural women, have to take the initiative to do that um, because people are uncomfortable with the difference that they haven't had exposure to. And my grandmother taught me that early on. Um, and so part of part of of leading as a uh, multi-influential woman is to really lead and to teach. Um, and I think part of teaching is getting people to get comfortable with difference. And I think getting comfortable with difference comes with breaking down stereotypes. You know, Kim, one of the things that I, I also hear you saying that we share in common is that we're able to look for what we have in common yes. with people no matter where their position or place might be in the world or in a corporate or organizational or community setting. And then from that point of what we share in common, even if it's the essence of our human beingness, you know, That's right. that we're able to draw that, that, common sensitivity forward and then put everyone at ease and to become open to using and becoming aware of how our differences are our advantages. It, you know, it's, there, it's so true. There was a speech, I, I and I did not hear the entire, I don't remember the entire speech, but this has stayed with me forever. In 1972, you know, Andrew... Young was at the height of his career and visibility in the international sphere, and he had made given a speech in Los Angeles that he said America is not a melting pot; it's a stew. Because no, you know, you put a carrot in there, a celery, a piece of beef, and you know, some onions in there. No matter how long it boils, you're still going to recognize the importance of each of those ingredients. However, by being in there boiling and working through and blending together, this wonderful stew, yes. you know, comes forward. And that has stayed with me when I, you know, was living in Japan or whether I was in Peace Corps, any place in the world, in anywhere, meeting someone new and different, that not wanting to change them, but to really learn more about who they are because not only does that make me a more informed person and hopefully a, a, a more sensitive and um, um, worldly person in terms of awareness and experience, but it brings together another perspective, set of talents and skills that help make whatever we're engaged in so much exponentially better than I would have done without that diversity of experiences, including the white male, you know, or the white woman, you know, all of us. You know, before I let you go, and I appreciate again so much having you on and, and truly not only look forward to having you come back, but we want you to be a regular host here on Sylvia Global. Oh, yeah. You know, we really, because the, 
your perspective, your experience, and the level of conversations and people that you're engaged with are a part of what the world needs to hear and see, and that's why this platform exists. Your influence and the influence of other women, we want to be at Sylvia Global, and we are getting this incredible response to being that connective tissue um, for promoting these messages. Um, Talk to us about you know, how your work and Blue Ocean Strategy, you know, this book that you introduced me to in this work is absolutely phenomenal. And then please do not close without talking about, you know, the Gray CDF Freedom School and the Girl Scouts and projects that are important to you and how we can support you in the work that you're doing to support others. Oh, well, uh, thank you again just for the opportunity to, uh, to to chat and for us to just have a dialogue. Um, I was um, exposed um, to this to this book called Blue Ocean Strategy, um, as you know, Gail. And really, the essence of Blue Blue Ocean Strategy is centerpieced around understanding that with the market conditions changing, as I described earlier. The companies that are going to be the real in-game players are the ones that will understand that competition is not just about how your profits are made, but your but competition is really going to be about looking within yourself and understanding how can you compete with yourself in a way that is changing and innovating um, and creating value in new and different ways. And one of the powerful case studies that they use there, and I'm hoping our our listenership will, will everybody go out and get a copy of Blue Ocean Strategy because I think it's a phenomenal book. But they use Cirque du Soleil um, as a wonderful case study of how as um, Ringling Brothers, Armand Bailey, and circuses in general were on the decline because children were now playing using technology, how Cirque du Soleil's success actually took off. And it took off because they didn't compete with other circuses, but instead they created new market space and they made the competition irrelevant. They started appealing to a whole different group of consumers and thinking completely different about uh, the whole notion of circus. And so this idea of creating new market space, I think, ties beautifully to the conversation that we're having today about women uh, as consumers, as influencers, as as a power base. And it's important, as you mentioned, for us to talk about white men in that mix because they are our greatest allies. We have to embrace, engage white men and all men to understand, to embrace, to uh to to be the the the, the supporters of what we're trying to accomplish because they still hold the power. And even if power shifts, we need everyone in order to make this world a better place. 
And when you think about our sons and what messages we want to teach them about their leadership as it relates to women, we know we need to think about how they view women and how they see themselves playing within the whole global environment. So blue ocean strategy, I think, is a powerful notion. Now, to the to the idea of the importance of including men, one of my biggest passions, one of my greatest passions, and one of, I would say, one of my greatest accomplishments uh, thus far was the was the creation and idea around uh, a, a program for young men of color called the Fellowship Initiative, and this was created four years ago. And it was born out of uh, a frustration that I had in going to many summits talking about the problems of young men of color all over the world and and how they were lagging uh, academically and socially and culturally, and yet I would leave these summits and there was no call to action. And And so I had this idea of testing a thesis, and the thesis was if we went into the lowest-performing New York City high schools and got the students that weren't the cream of the crop but the young men of color who were operating at a average, probably C, C-plus level, but had a lot of potential but were under the radar screen and attracted them in eighth grade and followed them and provided academic supports to them year-round and psychosocial support and family support, that by the time it was time for them to go to college, number one, they would be able to get into the best colleges in the country with scholarships, but also a spark would be lit that would transform and change their lives forever, but as importantly, they would become leaders that would go back in their communities as role models and bring the next generation along. Without going into a lot of detail, we started with 37 young men. Twelve weren't able to meet the challenges. Twenty-five have stayed with us for four years. They are now about to graduate, and I'm happy to report as of today, Four have been accepted into Ivy League schools. Wow. Every one of them has already been accepted to five or six schools. Many are still mm. waiting to hear from private universities. They've amassed over $500,000 in scholarship money with more coming in. But most importantly, they are confident about their prospects of the future. Now, if every company, if every Fortune 500 company would just take 30 young men like J.P. Morgan Chase did and allowed me to do and and do the same thing over four years, provide them with mentors, year-round support. We took them to South Africa last year. The year before, we had the Navy SEALs take them to the Catskills in New York to, to, to teach them how to b- believe and understand the force of their power. If every Fortune 500 company did that, imagine what progress we would make in eradicating this issue with young men of color. Kim, I I feel um, my face turning warm with tears. It's it's uh, like you've just shared some very some very important, powerful um, 
words of encouragement about our ability to actually make a difference in not only someone's life, but multiple people's lives and the ripple effect of you moving forward from a place of frustration and turning that frustration into a tangible reality in someone else's life. It's heartwarming. It's, It's more than heartwarming. It reaffirms our ability to be forces of change. Yes, indeed, indeed. Wow. Kimberly Davis, thank you so much, so very, very much for um, this first conversation on Sylvia Global. Thank you so much for the work that you've done to support many people and organizations um, personally and in your position at J.P. Morgan Chase. We know that um, God has a life filled with so much more treasures you know, waiting to be unearthed, um, not only in your life, but released into the world because you're just absolutely a jewel. And thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a great honor, and I'm and I'm grateful for the opportunity. My pleasure. Look forward to talking to you soon. Okay, okay. again, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to... Kim Davis here on sylviaglobal.com. Learn more about Kim at Sylvia Global Media. You can find us at sylviaglobal.com. She's there in our banner for the month of March. And you can also follow her and the work that we're doing here at Sylvia Global on Facebook and on Twitter. Have a wonderful day, and thank you so much for being here with us. Take care.